feel like Gordon Bombay would have taken his career to even further heights. Everything's flashy, everything's cocaine, everything's fun. Open wide for some soccer. I don't care what you think about, what your personal thoughts are at home. I care that you hate the Cowboys. Call college rule! Welcome back, everybody, to the Sports Experience Podcast. Dom and Chris here, and uh, before we begin, uh, make sure that uh, you subscribe to all of our uh, episodes and our channels on social media and our accounts, and uh, please like, follow, subscribe, and leave some comments. Let us know if there's some episodes and uh, some subjects you'd like us to talk about. Just a couple comics here in Tucson, Arizona, recording down in Ingle Studio which is downtown for all of your recording needs. And today, Chris, we got uh, an athlete uh, in a sport we haven't talked about in a while. I was going to say, we're on the uh, track and field, Mm -hmm. and we're talking about one of the greatest sprinters of his era, maybe the greatest uh, male American sprinter. We're talking Michael Johnson. American hero Michael Johnson. That's right. That's right. Born September 13th, 1967, Michael Dwayne Johnson was born in Dallas, Texas. Um, grew up in the Oak Cliff section in Southwest Dallas, the youngest of five kids and his mom and dad were super into school yes. for him um, and his siblings. I also saw that cause he was youngest of five kids. He said he learned how to run so fast because he was running away from all of his siblings, which oh, I thought was one of the funniest. You're just like, Oh yeah, that does sound like a youngest of five. <laughs> oh my God. Fresh meat essentially. Yes. Just chasing him around like oh, someone we can kick the crap out of. Um, his dad, Paul, was a truck driver and was very focused on his children building better lives than him yes. and his mom, Ruby, who was an elementary school teacher. And even in the summer, they'd have to go to summer school because their mom would tutor them at home, which I can't believe is kind of insane to have to go to summer school at such a young age when you're actually super smart, mm-hmm. which, holy cow. Um they uh, all of his other siblings graduated from University of North Texas in Denton, so their parents' plan actually worked. Yes, unlike a lot of other parents that we have on this podcast. Um, when he was in elementary school uh, and middle school, Michael started taking gifted classes. Um, and he went to Skyline High School in East Dallas, which was 30 minutes away because his parents wanted him to get a better education. And it's interesting because Track wasn't a big deal for him as far as becoming a professional. It was just a conduit to get to a better academic institution post-high school. I was just going to say, sometimes we see the opposite where, um, or not the opposite, but sometimes we see this where athletes will get into better academic schools and not necessarily take that advantage or whatever you want to say. They're student athletes. Yes, exactly. He literally was, he should have been going to these better schools. And the reason why in this, you know. Oh, it's like we'd let you in. Progressive Texas, (laughs) progressive Texas era was because he was a great athlete. And they were like, oh yeah. Um, But he was obviously like above his grade level. Uh, started sprinting at age 11. Uh, one of his coaches said, he, with his black horn rim glasses, he did not look like an athlete. No. Which is just, I wonder if anyone yelled at him, nerd! I'm sure, because really throughout until he gets like older, he does look like a nerd. Like if you, I saw a couple of pictures, you're just like, oh yeah, all right. But he comes to sprinting late in high school because it said as a freshman, he didn't do track at all. And then as a sophomore, he just did the long jump. And he raced in one of the uh, Texas's District 10-5A, their most competitive track conferences, whatever they have, mm-hmm. competitive districts. And in 
He finished third in the 200 as a junior. The guy who won ran the national high school record in the 200 that year. And then as a senior, he won districts, but lost in state to a guy who two months later would win the junior title in the 100, and it still holds the national record. Holy shit! So these seconds are two guys who are elite. That's the, <coughs> yeah. you know. So it, maybe it brings him that competitive edge yeah. as he starts moving through his career. Um, ends up attending uh, Baylor University. Yep. They're in uh, Waco, famous for other things outside of their track team. Mm. You can look that up on your own. That's not sports related. Uh, his 200 best was uh, 21.3 seconds at the time. Um, his co- track coach recruited him, Clyde Hart, because I guess Baylor – it was super popular for the relays, and Michael is also a very good relay racer in addition to the 200 meters. Yeah, some say uh, him anchoring the 4x400 is like his best spot. Um, Which is crazy considering what we'll talk about Yes, later. I was just going to say, but that's definitely why they said that they brought him to Baylor originally, and he obviously is there for academic purposes um, and gets a degree in accounting and is a which track makes star. sense, yeah. which totally makes sense. Um, in his first outdoor meet, uh, he ran a twenty point six nine, which was basically point seven se- or um, yeah, point seven seconds faster than uh, the previous than the, the, his the previous record. Yeah, and then twenty point four nine in his second, and it wasn't till his freshman year that he even ran his first four hundred meters. Mind you, the Southwest Conference at this time is producing freaks like Eric Metcalf. As well. So this is like late 80s, early yeah. 90s. Um, or late 80s, I guess you could say. Um, he pulled a hand. But he has some very bad luck as far as winning things in terms of injuries getting in his way in his college career. You want to go into that? Well, uh, I feel like because later in his career we, we come into injuries, but this is really where he starts to get hamstring injuries and, and weird shit like that. And I can't remember. Was it his junior year? Uh, or was it? Yeah. So his freshman year, he oh, okay. uh, pulls his hamstring um, during the NCAA's and misses him before the fr- he did, doesn't even run in the NCAA. Yeah, he, he doesn't run him. at all. Sophomore, he was leading the NCAA 200 final before he broke his fibula that, bone. That was the one I was thinking about because it, it's one where he possibly couldn't have come back from, and he does probably because he was such a great academic no, I'm just kidding, yeah. because he was such a great athlete at that time the following year he's set to probably run in the 88 olympics in seoul after a 4.34 anchor leg in the four by hunt 400 because of this injury and in 1989 he misses the ncaa's with a strained hamstring at a southwestern conference meet so he's one of the best at the two and 400 as a track star but, but just, he's just not winning anything because if he had bad luck that's the only kind of luck he has. I was going to say, no because he's all. breaking records for time and then can't compete in the, you know, national championships. But then uh, we he graduates from Baylor, like we were talking about, degree in accounting. And I feel like right in this era, the 90-91 is where everybody's just like, oh, this guy is an, an elite track star. He was unknown when he went to Budapest to join the European track circuit because now he's no longer a student athlete. That's true. He can get paid to do these things. Um, Before his senior year, and actually before his senior year, he's still a student athlete. He told his sister Regina that 
all the reporters are mo- like mobbing all the other track people. And he said, by the end of this year, they'll know who I am. Mm-hmm. And 9091 comes and just sets the world ablaze. So in 1990, he wins the 200-meter in the Goodwill Games in Seattle. 91, wins again in the World Championship in Tokyo. And then he's the favorite to win the 200 in the Olympics. Well, I feel like Tokyo is when everybody kind of like sees how much better he is. So he wins the 200 by point um, thirty three seconds, which is such a ridiculous level or such a ridiculous time at this level where you're just like, oh, yeah, he was like strides ahead of people. That's the thing. His running style, he's not a long strider. No. He's upright, short steps. Just going to bring this up where it literally is what they say not to do when you're sprinting because he didn't grow up necessarily with all of the coaching, like growing up sprinting. So he has this upright, not high knee style. And he, I mean, it's great. I love it. It's kind of like watching a duck run, but like really athletically, like, just a little bit off the ground, but he it's takes like a duck, sh- but it's a mallard. It's a ma- yes. <laughs> so, ninety-two, he's the absolute stud. Yes, in the Barcelona, and everything is he's favored to win the two hundred. Like that's just his event. Um, two weeks before, though, him and his agent decide to go out to eat. Bad choice. I was just gonna say they and. People talk about this when athletes go to different parts of the world because sometimes just the cuisine will mess you up, but they legitimately get horrible food poisoning, and it messes him up so bad that they were saying, like, he lost strength going into this 92 Olympics in Barcelona. And if food poisoning takes you out for two weeks, you got a bad. Yes. Like, something is ravaging your tum-tum in a bad way. <laughs> your little tummy-tum. Your little tum-tum. So he ends up making it to the semifinals, but finishes sixth, which yeah. is like the ultimate cool runnings way to lose a track meet. Outside of someone tripping you and you joining a bobsled team, crapping your brains out in Spain due to whatever you ate, that's yes. just, oh, oh God. It sucks. Heart-wrenching. Um, I will say, though, he does come back in this Olympics to race in the 4x400 meters in the relay, and they win gold and set a new world record, mm-hmm. which is pretty sweet. Well, that's this 4x4, four four, and we'll get into it later. Oh, yeah, we will. Um, with, with him running the anchor, they were saying that it's the best, like for like a decade, the, the best 4x4 four four we'll, we'll, we were seeing, and then there were reasons. Well, there are reasons. Not in this Olympics or the following, but And not necessarily one. for our boy. No, um, no, not at all for him. That's the thing that I – it sucks for a – for. for what is almost always an individual sport you see for like the only time they actually bring yeah. it into a team and he gets kind of screwed over it. You're ruining it for the rest <laughs> of us. Whatever. Uh, 93 U.S. titles and 400 and the 4x4. Like we were saying, this 4x4 team is dominant. Um, and then we get into 95 Worlds. Oh, geez. Where yeah. this is where I, I still feel like nobody – does this because running the 200 and the 400 are very different in that you have to have certain points in this which is you some flojo shit right here yes we're talking about yes seriously listen to that episode <laughs> listen to that episode so in 95 worlds he's the first male athlete to win a double with the 200 and the 400 um and the only male athlete to do it in the 20th century and then he also of course does the triple with the four by four hundred? Yeah, um, that's. I mean, that's amazing. Yes, I mean, they, we will ne- probably never see that again. Someone ever. that dominant over those three races, like yeah. it, it's you see, like uh, Usain Bolt 
being able to do the hundred and and that's like his thing. And like a lot of guys will have like the two hundred and that's like their thing. Exactly. He was he was so good at the two and the four that he was literally the best in the world for like like you're good at one event and then the relay. And then the relay, yes. You know, but you're good at two events in the relay. Yeah. I mean, you're set to become an American hero, <laughs> which is funny because in 1996, the Olympics are in Atlanta, Georgia, in these United States of America. That's right. Unfinished business. Um, this is when he comes in at 28, and people think this is his prime, which yeah. it's hard to even... Which is weird for track athletes, because I'm thinking you'd be in your early to mid-20s when yeah. you're in your prime. But Like a fine wine, this man ages, Chris. Oh, my like God. Like a fine wine. I, I, I guess primes just come for different athletes, because you yeah. look at it, sometimes you're just like, oh, yeah, he was 24, and he was... But like I, for Michael Johnson, 28 to even like 32, you're just like, ooh, God. Ooh. <laughs> He's a hard 32. Ooh, that is a nice cab that I will take, sir. Um, <laughs> that Junie ran the 200 in 19.66 seconds at the U.S. Olympic trials, which broke a 17-year-old record. So he's already firing and hot. He's going to run in the 200 and 400 meters. No one had ever won both those events at an Olympics as a dude. And he comes in with, this is the yes. era of... Oh, God. Track stars finally wearing a bit of, uh, you know, pizzazz. Yeah. How many buttons do you have? You need more flair. Um, so he comes in wearing these gold <laughs> Nikes. Who comes in wearing these gold Nikes, and he's known as the man with the golden shoes. He's not doing the bare minimum, Chris. And he's not doing the bare minimum, and that's the problem. Working at Tchotchkes. Uh but I found it funny. His left shoe was a size 10 oh, and yeah. a half, and his right was like an 11, which always reminded me of that Adam Sandler whitey bit that he had, where he's like, my, my right shoe is a children's size 3. <laughs> They're normal shoes. They said his, his right foot was almost uh, a foot bigger than, or whatever. Uh, <laughs> so it, it's uh, an inch bigger than his left foot. So they were saying like, when he was growing up, obviously he couldn't customize his shoes. And now, how was he running so fast that they weren't like customizing his shoes? I wonder if he was padding one of them. Mama says those Michael's magic shoes. I, they I, take I, I, him I, anywhere. <laughs> and then after the track meet, he ran out of Vietnam. But no, um, <laughs> July 29th, my birthday. Fuck yeah, July 29th, 1996. He's in the 400 meters, and my God, does he light it up. Chris. I distinctly remember watching this yeah, because yeah. It, it was my birthday. The Olympics were happening. We were watching it, and he – and this is where the – this is where the uh, doping scandals kind of come in, which were obviously never with him. But he did so much better than his last meet that people were like, whoa. Yeah. But this is my thing was he was like primed to – have this 400 Olympic He's record. He's not letting food poisoning destroy That's him. That was my thing, where it's like he had like this fire of coming off of the the uh, Barcelona Olympics, where he like literally it was taken away from him. And in the 400, he literally runs a 43.49, which was .92 ahead of the next guy. That was like that one Usain Bolt ran where just everyone was in his dust. Everybody. Just everybody. It was almost like they were running two different races. Yeah, right? It's crazy. That is crazy. So a gold medalist is an individual, his first one. That's pretty awesome. Three days later, 
uh, August 1st. August 1st, yep. 200 men's meter final. He sets a world record of 19.32 seconds. 0.3 better than his run at the Olympic trials. He saved the best for last. Well, and this is what they were saying because he could have done another triple. Um, oh. He ends up injuring himself in this 200, and he's unable to run the 4x4. Four four. But he is the first male athlete to do the Olympic double, which people are saying, like, I don't know if we're going to see that. You know, we probably won't ever again unless they start making cyborgs. You know, oh, I love cyborg racing, which would be cool. Like Skynet will get on that. <laughs> oh, so after these Olympics, especially because it happens in America, he is a star. Oh, he's a like, superstar, and you don't see that a lot from non like big four sports. In the Olympics, you know, it this is bigger than like when Eric Hyden won five gold medals. You know, because he's doing it in these glamour events. And he's breaking world records. Yeah. Olympic records, world records. And he is like the kind of almost the throwback to Jesse Owens of being like, see how much better we are than all of you. It's such a weird. Really, the only thing he didn't do was beat Hitler because he was already beaten. It's true. That's true. It's very true. So that season, he wins the James E. Sullivan Award as the top amateur athlete in the United States of America and ABC's Wild World of Sports Athlete of the Year. He was so dominant in the 200 that, in fact, uh, human gnome and NBC commentator Bob Costas said since his split, 100-yard split, was shorter than Canada's 100-meter gold medalist Donovan Bailey's, Johnson was the fastest man in the world. Yes, that's what he was saying. It's created kind of a rivalry here. And normally people say whoever wins that 100 meter is the fastest one in the world, but uh, old Bobby Cost came out and said that, no, 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 we got the fastest he man. He took in a the break world. from filleting Mickey Mantle's corpse. It's true. <laughs> it's true. To uh, interject himself into this great debate on fastest man in the world. And a lot of sh- shit talking, shall we say, was done between yes. Bailey and Johnson. Um, they end up deciding on a 150-meter event, so you meet them in the middle, both guys. And on June 1st, 1997 at Skydome, well, let's just say there were a lot of raucous Canadians pissed that Bailey was not getting as much publicity as Michael Johnson. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, no votes in AP's Athlete of the Year either for Mr. Donovan Bailey. And in front of 30,000 people at where the Blue Jays and Argos play, Johnson does not win. He, in fact, does not finish this race. I was going to say, he gets injured. Um, and we see this in sprinting sometimes where y- you injure your hamstring and it really takes you out. And it's actually could have been detrimental to his actual career in racing because he could have missed out on... Yeah, well, he's got for, more sprinting to do. For Well, he could have missed out on the Worlds for this kind of grudge match that, didn't, yeah. you know what I mean, didn't really mean anything. Electric boogaloo. Bailey was really taunting him, too. He called him a chicken, saying he didn't mm-hmm. want to finish. I mean, oh, no. Not Michael Johnson. Not at all. And because of this injury, we get a new rule from the IAAF, IA. Whatever, um, because they they wanted I don't know whatever uh, they wanted the uh, defending champion to be at the whatever event was coming up. So they just like in the Karate Kid three exactly watch it. So they they instituted this rule that defending champions automatically qualify because Michael Johnson was going to miss it because he couldn't do any of the qualifying trials yeah. because he was injured. Um, Plus, I think he's it's the, the guy that everyone wants to see. Uh, it's not like he's just some rando. It's yes. like 
even if he's even if he's using a cane down the track, people are going to show up and watch him. Well, I think it's right to automatically qualify the defending champion. That's it. Just feels right. It's like when John Daly wins majors, completely hammered, like a G, like a straight. He keeps his PGA Tour G. card at a boy, Johnny. All right, so ninety-seven in Athens uh, wins the world four hundred meter title. Yep, um, nineteen ninety-eight um, Goodwill Games. After Team USA beats Team Iceland. Uh, anchors the 4x400. Um, this is when we get... Oh, I f- yeah. I forget the guy's the, his first name, but his last name's Young. Jerome Young Jerome and Antonio Young. Pettigrew. Well, Pettigrew doesn't uh, admit to it at this point. Well, it's, he doesn't it's, admit to it, but he's doing it. Yes. At this point, it's just Young who gets busted for doping. They end up having to give back the Goodwill Games to the 4x400 in this. And then it's from this from this '98 Goodwill Games to literally the end of his career. We see teammates of his just kind of throw shade on his career. I mean, when you really think about it, Chris, when you really break it down, if there's a sport not named baseball with the most doping controversies, it is track. It is track, especially it, these sprinting events, especially this era, like all of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah it sucks. Um, so in '99, um. Beset by injuries, um, which only limited him to uh, four 400-meter races yep. that year. He uh, wins in Seville that year, I believe, for the Worlds. Yeah, so they let him back in the Worlds because of the rule that they made for him. Well, the winning just doesn't stop. And that's what they were saying was just like it makes so much sense because they're running so much that they are getting injured, but we want them for these giant events. He wins the four by uh, – he wins the or just the four hundred uh, with a forty three point one eight at age thirty one eleven months. So he's thirty two years old. How many guys are able to do that? I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and, no, and it's, it's a record that stood for seventeen years. I was going to say it's it's literally he was a pure athlete. That's my that's the thing I take from because like we were saying, sprinting kind of drops off. Guys kind of drop off. He was elite for this whole time. And to think of. No injuries in college. He's probably making Olympics before 1992. Yes. And he's winning. He's a much bigger name. than 92, even though he won a gold medal in the relay, it's essentially a wash because he gets food poisoning, yep. which is freaking terrible. It's not like he was out the night before getting schlosh. Yes, it's hor- it, Yes, he does have bad luck with huge competitions. I've never seen somebody this dominant have this type of luck. Yeah. Like, seriously. Um, so 2000, we go down under to down the Olympics, under. the Paul Hogan Olympics in Sydney. Uh, fortunately, he sustains a, an injury in the 200-meter final, but goes to the 400 and at 33 years and 12 days wins another gold medal in the final. Who, uh, for his fourth. For his fourth one. And he was the oldest guy to do it in track, which is insane, in any event under 5,000 meters. So, like, yeah, all the old guys do that one, but nothing. It's a young man's game, but the old crafty veteran is sticking it to him. Um, and we see in the 4x400, four they end up winning gold and then end up later getting their medal taken away because in the qualifying, Jerome Young, who was earlier busted for doping, helped them <laughs> getting to qualifying, so they decided to take it away because of the qualifying scandal. And then they ended up giving the gold medals back 
Yeah, they did. Because they said that. Who gives these backsies? Well, they said that because um, that team that was technically that 4x400, none of them were technically doping, so they shouldn't be penalized for somebody in qualifying, helping yeah. them get there. And then later we get it that Pettigrew was just doping the entire time. Yeah, just pissing hot. You know, but it's it's fine because everyone's doing it, right? Well, that's what sucks, and that's what people are talking about, like, with, like, the Lance Armstrong thing was, like, well, everybody was doing it. And you were just like, how much more dominant would Michael Johnson been? Oh, if he took – but, I mean – No, if, no, if everybody else wasn't doing that, too. Because you got to look at, like, all of the other yeah. guys that he was in competition with. It almost, like – he almost would have won races by more. I wonder if the 4x400 would have been as good, but it, it's... Yeah. I think about it if he ever took steroids, because like we talked in that Frank Thomas episode where they had asked him, because he was clean, like, how many home runs do you think he would have hit? He's like, probably 800. Oh, yeah. I mean, if imagine if he took steroids. No, that's what I mean. He took... If he took... Dear them, God. Yeah, he would have had like... Yeah, Jesus. And and if the other guys were clean, it would have probably been the same type of gap. Yeah. Like, just... That's these, what... Yes. Oh, That's what gosh. I mean. So, um, in, uh, yeah, we talked about the returning the medals, the giving them back and forth, yep. which is just terrible. It's like putting weights in the front of a bobsled, Chris. Oh, I mean, how low can you go? Um, after the 2000 Olympics, though, he's retired. I mean, out of professional competition. <laughs> yeah, here, Tony. Yeah, Tony. Um, yeah, so he is, he is retired after this, which um, I did see this one interview because he really doesn't talk about his 4x400 team, but no. he does. He has it mentioned where he kind of talks shit on them, and he was talking about he was just like, it sucks to put so much work in to have people then devalue and, and really take away his, like, the reputation that he had because some people were saying that he was doping because these other guys were doping. So now he's guilty by association. Which sucks. And and, number one, and it has to suck for him because he's the anchor. He's the best he's the guy anchor. on that team. You could put husks of people in there and you'd meddle. So it's not like Yes. Why are we doing this? No, it sucks. That that I the It fact, really is weights in the in the front of the sled. It really fucking sucks. The fact he hasn't climbed a clock tower. I mean, geez Louise, that's crazy. Um, two thousand and four uh, enters the US track and field hall of fame. His two hundred meter final in ninety six was named the greatest track and field moment of the last twenty five years. Yep. That's why I said I'm pretty sure anybody born after 1960 knows who this guy is who's mm -hmm. still alive because he was just iconic. It was just iconic. I mean, and he's doing it for America. Yeah. The red, white, and blue. Well, broke down barriers where, like, sprinting wasn't that popular, and he, he was so dominant that it became popular. And yeah. that's, I mean... And, and his statistics for his racing... Oh, man, it's insane, dude. Oh, I love it. Go, go. Go for it. Nine of the top 50s in uh, – so so hold on. He's ran the 200 millimeter – Millimeter. <laughs> ran the 200 meter. Jesus. I, I, I'm, like, trying to look at two different things here, and I'm just like – He ran the 200 meter it, it, in under 19.8 six times. Nine of the top 50 times in the 200 meter are his. But that's not – his most impressive race. No. The 400 meter is... Which he didn't run until he was a freshman at Baylor. I was just going to say that. He literally ran 200 in high school, and then at Baylor, they were like, oh, I think you might be better at the 400. Um, what is he that? He had 22 um, 
running the 400 meters under 44 seconds, <laughs> 22 of the top 50 spots. And what I actually think is the most impressive, he had five of the 10 uh, top times in the 400 oh meter. My God, so half of the top times in the 400 meter are his. It, it's, it's, he has four gold medals, four world championships, or no, I'm sorry, four gold medals, eight world championship golds, four goodwill game golds. And my favorite statistic is he has zero bronze and zero silver. Well, if you ain't first, Chris, you're last. That's all I wanted to say. You ain't first, you're last, Ricky Bobby. I'm here for a career day. <laughs> I better lay off the peyote. Uh, so since his career has ended, um, he's been working overseas. He's a TV commenter for the yep. BBC, um, writes for the Daily Telegraph and the Times newspapers, which, I mean, he's a very educated person. So his parents, yeah, excellent job. Uh, started at the BBC in 2001 at the World's. Um, and then has worked the 2004, 2008, 2012, 2016, and 2020 Olympic Games doing commentary for uh, track. I don't think you would want anybody else talking about track. He's he's literally the voice that you want with track because that's the that's the guy I associate. And oh, I feel dude, like me too. almost Anyone every American age. or I was going to say anybody our age where you're just like, oh, yeah, Michael Johnson for, for – track that's that's all i could say those sparkly nike shoes it was like oh man that's just goosebumps man Mm -hmm. goosebumps doing it for america uh 2007 he opened michael johnson performance um for pro athletes um olympic and football teams uh out there in the northern dallas area um in 2018 he was actually playing flag professional flag football i saw that i thought that was pretty cool um, that year, though, he also suffered a stroke, mm-hmm. but he's backing up on his feet doing his Michael Johnson I was going to say, he's he's back, which is always scary when people have strokes, but he's definitely well recovered from it, if yeah. you will. You know? So good yeah. to have you back, Michael. I bet you still could kick a lot of people's asses on that track, even in your golden years as you reach senior citizenship. Yes. American hero. American hero. Definitely American hero.